Welcome to the Serve Conscious Podcast, where people and companies can learn the inner game of service and tap into the fullest power of the service opportunity. So join me and let's master the service mindset together and up-level service the world over. And I encourage you to check out my partner, the Institute for Organizational Mindfulness, which is on a mission to help people and companies to incorporate mindfulness into their culture and raise performance, efficiency, general happiness, and everything that we want from going to work. So link is in the show notes for you to go deeper into that as well as the mindful service movement. All right, let's get started. Hello, friends. Welcome. So I've got a discussion I'm about to share with you, and I'm so excited for you to partake in it because there's a couple of firsts wrapped up in this discussion. One of the firsts is that I got to interview a couple, and I don't think I've ever interviewed two people at the same time, and so that was a new chapter uh, in this podcast. And also, I got to interview, well, Guinness Book of World Record holders as well. Mark Victor Hansen and his equally amazing wife were kind enough to join me together to discuss their amazing mission and their new book that they wrote together called Ask the Bridge from Your Dreams to Your Destiny. Mark is the co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, and in addition to his other works, which total, I believe, 318, he said, he has sold about half a billion books. And if you're thinking to yourself, that sounds like a lot, I wonder who else has sold that many books. The answer is nobody. That's why he's in the Guinness Book of World Records. But I don't want to reduce his mission to that, even though that's quite a gargantuan thing to reduce someone to, because what he does now is live, embody, and promote what those books wanted to ignite in people, and that's just a sense of personal agency to make positive change, to just inspire people to live their own missions, become the best versions of themselves, and serve others. And he's been doing that for decades as a speaker and marketing maven, helping people and businesses reach their fullest potential. Let's talk about his wife and partner, uh, Crystal Dwyer Hansen. I felt the need to say and partner because they are not only like a couple, but they are clearly able to braid their missions to create something that is a sum greater than its parts. And not every couple can become like a inspirational tag team. Not every human being can co-author a book, but uh, these are two people that manage to cultivate a uniquely collaborative union. And trust me, I'm married. Being able to collaborate is not a given it requires something special. It requires work or a very blessed dynamic. And in speaking with Crystal and just kind of experiencing all that she radiates as a human, it is clear that she brings something very special to this dynamic. She is a uh, transformational coach, human potential expert, author, corporate consultant, bringing a very multidisciplinary toolkit anywhere from nutrition and wellness to neuroscience. So herself and Mark definitely were two forces colliding in a very special book, which just came out last year, so that was what our discussion sort of orbited around. And it was really cool because without me requiring it or even requesting it, they spun so much of what we talked about into relevant applications 
to service-oriented work, which is not at all a stretch because really serving is a matter of being able to ask the right questions when you're serving others, of course, but also in serving yourself. And I talk about this so much, the importance of putting that same energy to your own well-being, growth, and general thriving as a human being. And that involves asking yourself the right questions too. And really taking the time and putting in the effort to knowing what you really want and what will ultimately lead to a life firing on all cylinders for you. So that's it. No more spoilers. Let's just let our amazing discussion do the rest of the talking. Here I am with Mark Victor Hansen and Crystal Dwyer Hansen. All right. Welcome everyone to the Serve Conscious podcast. I'm so excited to share a very special interview uh, with you guys today. I'm chatting with Crystal Dwyer Hansen, Mark Victor Hansen, uh, the tag team behind uh, the latest book, Ask, which we're going to talk about a lot today and lots of other things. But firstly, thank you so much for being on the show, guys. Welcome. We're delighted to be here. Thanks for having us on, Stefan. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I really, it's just a, you know, a personal joy to have you here. Um, firstly, uh, Mark, your books, the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which I'm sure so many of have heard about, have littered my house uh, since I was a, a kid. So uh, they were like in every room. I don't mind if they litter your house. Litter is the wrong word. They were, but they were just, I feel like everywhere I turned, there was a shelf with that book on it. And uh you're the one. We did, I need to know how to multiply you and find you. You're our ideal client. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> yeah, and it was my parents. They were interested in kind of introduced me to that. And uh, yeah, those kind of inspiring stories um, generally uh, were part of my life growing up. So it's just, yes. Great parents, great parents. And, and every kid, <laughs> look, I got a vested interest because I've sold a half million books, but is so it doesn't mean if I eat or not. So I don't want people to get that. But everybody needs to have a good story. And the reason that we, Jack and I, Dr. Campbell and I wrote Chicken Soup, is that we thought the soul of America was in trouble. We found out the soul of the world was in trouble. And it, mm-hmm. by the way, I will just put my own two cents in and say I think it's in trouble again. Oh, it's not fine now. Oh, okay. I thought it was fine now. Yeah, definitely not fine now. Like there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering in the world. And it seems that, you know, stories always have an impact and can always cut through that. And actually, uh, your guy's book starts with a story. And is was that kind of fueled by this philosophy of the power of storytelling to help communicate big ideas? Yes, absolutely. So our new book, which is our first co-authored book, Ask the Bridge from Your Dreams to Your Destiny, um, does start with a a fable. We call it the fable of Michaela. And uh, when we discussed it, we... uh, we thought about doing like a fable on an animal. We, we, about an animal, we love stories, like you're saying, and stories are just a really um, easy, fast way to teach a lesson because stories all have patterns and human minds recognize those patterns. So we see, we recognize that pattern in the story at a very intrinsic level, and we can sort of apply that to our lives very easily. And especially if there's emotion in the story, because we, we anchor memories to emotion. So we decided after chatting about it that we would just we would do it about a girl and mark and i you know each took chunks of the book and would write on those and then we put them together and i was usually the editor and kind of do the transitions but so i started working on the fable thinking we would both work on it and i just i just kept writing it and it just kind of flowed out and um so i was i handed it to him and i said what do you think of this and he read it and he started crying and he's i thought 
wow, I think, I think he likes it. And um, so we were planning on cutting up the fable and kind of putting it in four sections. He's like, no way we're putting this at the beginning of the book. It's a great way to start the book. And that was really intuitive of him because uh, everyone's loving it. It's, you know, it is a great way to get into the broad lesson of the book because it really is every woman in every man's story, you know? Yeah, the breadth of it, I think, is impactful because, you know, a lot of people skip the Roman numerals part of the book. Like, let's get to the actual beginning of the book. But the fact that it keeps going makes one think like this is, I think, really important. Like there's there's a lot being said here. And I think it would draw the reader back into maybe like actually finishing that part. Well, I've had three uh, Guinness Book of Records, as you know, so 59 times number one New York Times bestseller. Nobody's done that. Half a billion books. Nobody's done that. Uh, more titles than anyone by the end of the year. I'll have 318 titles. And and you read one of my titles, like Ask, because it's pretty hard to miss what that says. Now, what it, why it says that is the big guy said, Ask and you shall receive, but the point is no one detailed it until us. When she wrote the prologue, which we call The Fable of Michaela, it was so dynamite. I said, look, I think you're going to get a Guinness Book of Records for the world's <laughs> longest prologue because we asked people to take the book like we sent to you and said, I think you ought to start by reading this. And now we've got Hollywood talking to us about doing it a movie because, and they said, well, we'll change it forward or we'll do it animation. I said, no, no, no. We think we're going to stay stuck on this probably that it's got to be time of kings and queens because then you don't get stuck in because if you suspend your judgment and start asking, you wake up your imagination, you wake up your intuition, you wake up a brain inventory stuff. A mind can think and we want people to get into their higher mindedness because this is a show on serving consciousness. And to serve consciousness, you have to think at levels that you haven't thought before. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I just I just think about that, that, uh, that story and how it, you know, it feels like I think of Joseph Campbell's saying, actually, a myth is something that never happened, that's always happening. And I think a good story has that sense of like, okay, maybe this isn't like literally something that happened, but it is just a fundamental like truth of being alive. It is it is a fundamental truth. And you know, Michaela's story starts off, I'll just hit a few highlights just to intrigue the listeners here. But um, you know, she's um she's lost everything. She lost her mother, then her father, then the bill collectors took away her home. She's sleeping in a grove of trees. And um she's just really hopeless. She has nothing left, she feels, to really live for. And um, her work every day is about moving. She's basically an indentured servant at a stone quarry. Her work is about moving heavy rocks from one place to another all day long. And I think for some people, life feels like that, especially right now, Stefan, because so many people have gone through so much. It's been scary. It's been uncertain. Um, A lot of people are still afraid to to go out and live again. Um, A lot of people got shut down from fear. And so... You know, that's a little bit where Michaela was at when she started her journey. And then, you know, she goes in back, falls into an exhausted sleep in her dream. The being comes to her, takes her on a journey and gives her this amazing sort of advice and admonishment. And the next day she, which has to do with asking and never stop asking. And she wakes up the next day and already she knows something inside of her has changed. She feels that seed of light and hope inside of her. And so she starts to notice things around her that she hadn't been noticing at all. She starts wondering, she starts inquiring, she starts asking. 
And then the layers of her life start changing and changing and changing until by the time she gets to the end, we get to the end of the fable, you can't even recognize Michaela or her life. It's so vastly different in a very, very good way. It is, it is wonderful to see that. And I always like check in and when I'm reading stories like, like, wow, how far we came and maybe just like how quickly, like, and yet it's just, a, there's a progression that just seems like it makes sense. But at the end, it's like, wow, what a transformation. And actually, I want to ask you guys, because, you know, snapshot now, you're this beautiful shimmering couple that, uh, you know, helps people and uh, life looks great. Um, but uh was this story maybe fueled by your own uh, journey of maybe hitting, I like the use of rocks, you know, where there are rock bottoms and were there moments that like opened your eyes and, and things could never look the same? Totally and absolutely and completely correct. And, and what happens is each of us has, has gone through the tortures of the damned, tragedy and back to some triumph. And, you know, I would like her to do her story because it's so critical here. But, bankruptcy, well, I could do my bankruptcy, but the point is her, she said even had some prophetic dreams that, that would translate it into that wondrous story that took it over. But my own story, just real quick is 1974. I've been in graduate school with arguably the smartest guy in the planet, Buckminster Fuller. He did geodesic domes, major, major inventions, 40 major books, genius. And, and, I was going to be a doctor of physiology and I'm listening to him talk to 5,000 kids at Southern Illinois University and I'm going, I'm a hotshot, man. I got me a four point. I'm cool. I, I just, I don't know if you know the term sophomoric, but I was. And all of a sudden he says, we're going to talk about this and this and this and this and make the world work. I thought, wow. Anyhow, I tried to be Bucky in 1974, blew out the business. And I asked myself, I'm, I'm ready to kill myself. I'm sleeping in a sleeping bag in front of another guy's room and I keep going, okay, God what am I supposed to do? I'm a mess. I'm wrecked. I feel so low. I can't reach up to touch bottom. What am I supposed to do? And instead, the first miracle was God said, ask me, well, what do you want to do? And I go, uh Oh, I said, well, I think I want to talk to people that care about things that matter that would make a life transformative difference. Well, now I'm excited. And I was smart enough to do what we're teaching everyone to do is have your little pad and paper with you anytime you're with and write down I go to my three roommates in Hicksville, Long Island, New York, and they say, hey, guys, you know anyone young speaking that's not a lawyer, doctor, Broadway star, celebrity, or famous person that I could relate to? And the guy says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Second miracle. My roommate, after asking, said, here's a ticket. I can't go. Go hear this guy. He's a wow out in Hawpaw, Long Island, New York. Well, for three hours, this guy, Chip Collins, who later became my friend and mentor, um, I couldn't believe he wowed the audience when the interest rates are at 28%. So it was the crappiest time ever to be in real estate up until now, right? At some different levels, why now? But the point is, it was a mess. And I go up to him and I ask my next miracle. I say, teach me how to do this. He said, look, kid, his voice is burnt out after shouting at an audience. Throughout. Look, kid, chance you make it is one in a thousand. Ain't going to make it. Go do some real business. I said, no, no, this is what I'm going to do. I, I'm convinced, but I want your help. Tell me how you did this. Because it looks like you're having so much fun, which it looks easy when you're on a platform. If you really know what's going on in the speaker's head, it isn't easy. Anyhow, we go and have this great lunch, and I ask him every question. Well, the first year I did, I did first three years, I did a thousand talks a year. I was either selling talks or giving talks, and now I teach. If you want massive result, you got to take massive right action. You won't find anyone who is superstar, vast success without massive action. But then people in the life insurance business where I was talking, because that's where Chip sent me, 
said, hey, wait a second, that's a great story. Do you have it in a book I need for my wife, my kids, or my business? And the first book I did was Stand Up, Speak Out, and Win. And I asked everybody to buy it, a little audience of 10 or 20 people. And I sold 20,000 copies at $10 each. That's $200,000. Well, today, that's like $2 million. I mean, now I'm back. And I'm feeling good. And I got me a Chrysler Cordoba with Corinthian leather. And I'm smoking, baby. <laughs> and having a time of my life. And I, I, the only mistake I made is I should have asked myself to write more books earlier. I've done great. But it would have been smarter to have more product earlier. Wow, uh, beautiful. And uh, so many valuable uh, points of wisdom in there. And I like the idea of like massive action. And that kind of stood out to me, like taking massive action. And that means like action that has, I guess, intent driving it. And actually is that intent uh, driven by asking for the right things and having that kind of clarity of like what you want and what you're doing? Because this is to serve your consciousness. Everything mindset creates money set. Mindset creates health set. Mindset creates spiritual set. Mindset, like you're asking, creates everything. So once I got going and had the right mindset, and and my mindset was massive right thinking gets massive right result. Well, it, it is a joy to serve. And if you're going to serve because you're in the service business and train people in the service business at every hotel and hospitality center in the world and others, is that we've got to go back to massive right action. First of all, massive right thinking to take massive right action to get massive right result. Amazing. And uh, Crystal, did you want to did you want to share your story as well? I think that was being encouraged too. your story of, you know, hitting a wall or a low point and then the eyes opening experience. Yeah, I, I think one of the most difficult times in my life was when I was quite young. I um, was one of those kids who found high school to be really easy and quite boring. And so I <laughs> accelerated my curriculum and graduated myself at age 16 and married my boyfriend who was five years older. Not a great life plan, as it turns out. Um, two years later, I'm um, in a brand new city, divorced, baby on my hip, no family, no friends, and absolutely no idea how I was going to support myself. So I did the only thing I could think of at the time, and that was to apply for food stamps. And I remember standing at the grocery counter, ready to check out, you know, my diapers and my and my food, exchange those food stamps for those. And um, I had this huge epiphany and it, it's like a question dropped in my mind. It was actually two questions. The first question was, how did I get here? Followed by a second question that was so clear to me. It was like my moment of truth. And, and it was, are you doing the best you can to get out of this? Or are you taking the easy way out? I literally heard that question in my mind. And I was like, oh, I knew the answer. I knew I wasn't doing the best I could. I knew this was like taking the easy way out. And I honestly didn't even know what the best I could do was, but I knew I wasn't doing it. And so I had the most instantaneous pivot where by the the minute I was handing those food stamps, I reached out and handed them to her. I, I had so much conviction in my brain. I was like, this will not be my future. And uh, I honestly think I looked a little fierce when I handed them to her. So I went home and I, I really didn't have any answers, but I knew suddenly I had questions. I really had that awareness. So I started asking like, who would hire me tomorrow? What are my skills? What can I do? You know what? So I, the minute I started asking those questions, I remember hearing on the radio about temp service agencies, you know, get a job, start work tomorrow. It was like Kelly girls, you know? So I called them up, filled out the paperwork, 
they started calling me. Um, fortunately, I'd worked in high school. I'd worked at, you know, Taco Time. I worked at a clothing store. I worked at my, filling in at my dad's attorney's office. So I start getting these jobs, start filling in at attorney's offices, start doing sales at conventions uh, that came through town. I started like setting up booths at malls, just all these random jobs that would come to me. And I started learning a lot about myself. I, I really learned that I loved small business owners. I thought it was just so amazing that someone could like get an idea, start a business and just go and do it. And I, and I was so intrigued by that. And then I really love sales. So I decided to put myself through real estate school at that point. Um, and in the meantime, a few people approached me and said, you should do some modeling. And I thought, gosh, what do I have to lose? So I went to the biggest modeling talent agency in our city. And I was like, would you sign me? I asked them if they'd sign me. And they're like, well, have you done this before? You know, read some lines. So I kind of stumbled through the lines and stumbled down the runway. And fortunately they signed me and I ended up doing some television commercials. So, and the, the television commercials ended up going national. So literally in a little more than a year and a half from that time that I was turning over those food stamps for my diapers and groceries, I now am working as a licensed realtor for the top home builder in our Valley I became the number one realtor and I'm getting these amazing residuals, which are like royalties, you know, for television commercials. And because I booked enough income for that, I had to join um, Screen Actors Guild. They make you quote unquote, which was wonderful because now I'm getting the best benefits, insurance benefits possible for myself and my little boy. And I can't tell you how many times Stefan that I thought back about that moment, like, thank God that question came into my mind. Thank God. I, I, cause it would have been so easy to, to cascade into my misery. You know, I had every excuse, every reason I'm young, no help. And, um, I'm just really thankful for the questions. And I'm thankful that I had enough courage to answer it honestly, cause it's easy to fool ourselves. You know, we, we really need to, when we start asking these questions, we really need to answer these, these self-reflection questions, honestly. Yeah, wow. It's like the, um, the, the the fable of Michaela. I'm just thinking about the before and after snapshot. Like, wow, things uh, things escalated quickly, as they say, and uh, you came so far. And I want to talk a moment about what you might think that voice is. Because, you know, I teach mindfulness, and when you, when you start looking at the mind, it's filled with detritus. There's like 50,000 thoughts a day, and there's plenty of throwaways. And yet there's usually that one thought that just seems like it really does have something wise to say rather than the usual repetition in the mind, the usual maybe like ways that the mind uses to defeat itself. Where, what is that voice? And how do you identify like this voice knows what it's talking about? Right. Do you want to take that? I want us both to take it with your permission. <laughs> I will go first. I will be brief. How's that? I think that what we're teaching is you got to ask yourself, ask others and ask God. I'll just do the ask God part. You know, you got, I think everyone today, more than ever before, to get out of COVID confinement cocoon has got to say to themselves 100 to 400 times before you go to sleep, push back slumber and say, God, what's your destiny for me? God, what's your destiny for me? God, what's your destiny for me? That'll get you to the key thought. Now, if you want to get rich, you say, God, what, what is my million dollar idea? What is my million dollar idea? Because what you said is the mind is got 18 billion brain cells and 50,000 thoughts a day, but they're sort of constipated and they're sort of on a hamster wheel. Let's do this again and again. But if you ask very specifically before you go to sleep or go into deep, deep meditation and have the right music or, or do your crystal cold belt or what bell, uh, what did I say? Crystal cold bell, crystal, crystal bell, bell. <laughs> crystal bell or, or bowls, the uh, Tibetan, the bowls like we got, um, you get, 
to a higher space, then you will come to your right answer because, well, I got to carry out the garbage is not the level of thought that's going to make you money unless you're going to become a garbage person. With that, I hand it to you, darling. Well, you know, just in asking about where is that voice? What is that voice? For me, I think because of, you know, we, we study, we study the Bible a lot. We, and we, we really dive deeply into scriptures. Um, We meditate a lot, but you know, I don't think people really take enough time to, to listen to the messages about oneness that are in the Bible. And you see these messages throughout a lot of wisdom traditions and religions throughout the world. There is a oneness there. Um, absolutely. There is one creator, one source. How can any human being define God, right? Except to, to speak about God, how we understand God, but, but the magnificence of God. So you know, when you, when you hear that voice, because you have, you have your brain and then you have your mind that goes beyond the confines of your brain. So if right now you, this living force that's filling your body and your brain left and, you know, your body was there and you weren't living alive anymore, you would still have a brain and it still has all everything in it that was ever in it, but it wouldn't be able to function on its own. So whatever was making your brain function is gone. It has moved on, right? So that is the source that is, con- that is the you, I believe, that is connected to source. That is the, you are created from source. And so a lot of the, the, the thoughts we have each day come from that sort of subconscious storage that we're, and it's a lot of fear-based thoughts. You know, it's said that like maybe 70% of our thoughts are, are negative because we've stored a lot of stuff from our past. And a lot of it is meant to keep us safe from harm, from danger, from this perceived harm and danger that we have in this lifetime. But beyond that, when you get those fresh, inspiring thoughts that, and you get more of those, the more you meditate, the more time you spend in stillness, seeking sort of that connection to God, that oneness, that, that conference with God, um, you'll start to get ideas and illuminations and, and just those, those moments that come out of somewhere, like I had, like, are you doing, it was almost like a stern father voice. Are you doing the best you can? Are you taking the easy way out? And it's like, oh, wow. And I literally felt like I was in a spot, like, like busted. I'm not, you know what I mean? But we have those moments and we need to pay attention to them because I believe it's our higher self, which is the part of ourself that leaves our body someday that is completely connected to God and that is trying to guide us, um, that is enmeshed with God in a way we can't separate ourselves from God. So I believe that's where the voice comes from. Yeah. And, you know, uh, in sort of our search for uh, greater meaning and uh, value in, in the life we live and the work we do and just kind of relief from the general uh, grind of life. I, I always, you know, I'm working with people that are generally like, go, go, go in do, do mode all day, at least the work day and always taking care of other people. And uh, I talk about the importance of having their own time to let the way clear and have access to this, this higher level of consciousness. Otherwise, you're just kind of at the victim of circumstance all the time. So uh, really appreciate you sharing your perspective on that. And um, I, I really feel like we have to talk about now what kind of drove uh, the writing of this uh, particular book, Ask. And actually, it's a book about asking and a book about the power of asking. Was there an asking process that actually uh, led to the materialization of this project together? 
Well, here's what happens. We discover that you don't get what you deserve in life. You get what you ask for. And as we've traveled to 80 countries, talked to some 7 million people, met great people, wonderful people, and a lot in the hospitality business that are just superb concierge, front desk people. Uh, and they've been, they, by the way, uh, unequivocally, they've been good to us. And it, it could be, and not everybody knows we're famous. Most times when we're checking in, especially with our grandkids, they, they just think it's nice people walking in. Hopefully they think we're nice people. So, but what we discovered Stefan, is it the difference between somebody who succeeds a little and somebody who becomes vastly successful is somebody who really does know how to use their thinking in an absolutely appropriate way to them because they've learned to ask and they're asking the right questions at the right time to the right people to get the right results right here and right now so they can be what they want to be, do what they want to do, and have what they want to have. And you say, well, everybody knows how to ask. No, we discovered that there are seven major roadblocks to asking. Most people have some, one of these or more of these, or sometimes all seven of them at once. All of us have had all seven at one time or another, but sense of worthiness, right? We've got a great story in there about my friend, Bob Proctor. Sense of excuseology. We've got a story in there about my brother who wouldn't ask for help when he needed it. And we can talk to any one of these. Sense of naivete, which we have a great story about her um, housekeeper who just woke her up to what was possible. Sense of disconnection. Sorry, I'm hitting papers on my own desk here. Sense of disconnection, sense of pattern paralysis, where you keep doing the same thing and expect a new result. And the trouble with triple A type behavior that are go, go, go is that what we're saying is it's only by asking that you understand that you are a human becoming. And then the question is the subtitle of our book, Ask the Bridge from Your Dreams, Your Destiny. We believe, and I hope you do. Everybody is coded at depth, at birth, to have a destiny. And if you don't ask, you won't get it. And I'll just do one quick thing, and I'll let it go back to your questions. Is that I've worked with a lot of groups, mentally, many dentists. And dentists, you know, you grow up, I'm going to be a dentist, 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 dentist. And, and you get stuck into drilling and filling, which is nothing wrong with that. I'm very thankful that I've had good dentistry. But the point is, we know two dentists who once saw a piece of string. Now, everybody's had a piece of string and turned it into dental floss with a little wax. And Zig Ziglar's joke was, how many teeth have I got to floss? Only the ones you want to keep, right? <laughs> this guy made $2 billion with a little piece of string. Pretty cool, I think. The other guy in Newport Beach, where we used to live, we now live in Scottsdale, Arizona, You found 3D printing and said, wow, I could print teeth. He asked himself how he could make a fortune. Now he makes $2 million a week. What I'm saying is everybody is in service, but if you're in service and stuck in service by one of those seven roadblocks, you're in a lose-lose or a lose, maybe I'm okay. I'm saying you're not only enough, but you're enough to be creative, innovative, imaginative, because there's a creator in the creation if you learn how to ask. Yeah, and I really appreciate you mentioning um, your lives being touched by service professionals, um, because I feel like service professionals, uh, actually what drives a lot of my work is that they don't feel that they're significant and that they have much value, and that they have much to offer. And they don't think about how much that they they can be an influence because there is a roadblock, many roadblocks uh, that you've mentioned within the kind of, uh, kind of lowly service mindset of like, I'm not worthy, I'm not significant. I was capable of more, but I fell back to service because I just didn't make the right decisions. Um, but Within, within the service role, what do you think uh, can shift in terms of the mindset so that even without nothing change, even without anything changing, like let's say everything remains the same, how could somebody who let's say, you know, works as a waiter, works as a call center employee, 
tap back into their innate value to, to, to really serve on maybe the higher level they want to within, within what they're doing right now? We are exceedingly close friends with the lady, Mitzi Purdue, who's an only double heiress, Purdue chicken. But before that, her daddy started during the depression, a little hotel chain you've stayed at and probably worked at called Sheridan Inns. And the reason he made it during the worst time in America, 1929 to 1939, and had the fastest growing hotel chain was one reason. He said, I'm not going to fire any of you. We're all going to operate at highest levels. I get goosebumps telling you this. We're going to operate it because it's really true. If you operate at the highest level of excellence, we're going to outserve every patron that comes in here. I don't care what you do, whether you're cleaning toilets or whatever. He said, I've done it. You're going to do it, but you're going to do it with more excellence. This is going to be the friendliest, most growing, happiest hotel ever. And I promise all of us will grow and all of us will bonus by it. And uh, his name was Ernest Henderson. Uh, Mr. Henderson really saw that. And in, 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 during the Depression, went from zero hotels to 400. I mean, to me, it blows my mind because in the worst economy, which we got 50 million unemployed Americans and a billion unemployed around the world, service is a giant, expanding, invisible business that most people say, well, I don't care about service. No, if you come into service with an attitude of gratitude, and decide that everybody that comes in is important, but you remember that you're important and that you're going to source them and serve them at the highest, best, most extraordinary levels like we want to do with our book, serve each and every one of you. It'll take you to new levels. And if you start asking, you're going to know about that patron, even if you're going up and down an elevator with them at one of the many hotels that you help. Awesome. Thank you for uh, quoting that great, uh, that great story from a great service superhero. You know, when, when these like uh, people that have service businesses that take it to another level and outstrip everyone else, it's always just has a particular like inspiring quality to me and really shows you, yeah, the, the power of the human being to really touch lives and be excellent. So uh, yeah. Awesome. I don't hear the Sheraton story told enough. Actually, there's a lot of ones we like to default to us uh, service geeks. So, so thank you for that. Gladly. By the way, I'll get you, Ms. Mitzi Purdue, you ought to interview her in depth about her dad because every one of her sisters and brothers, all of whom are still alive, she's in their 80s, are still alive and have all had a work in the hotel. And and we, let me just hit on that just real quick because I did something on it and then I got to give it back to my wife because she's got an answer too for you. But is it the, the service people are, are the greatest, but they can't undervalue themselves because they, if you undervalue yourself, you live below your privilege. That's the point I was trying to make. Mm. If you undervalue yourself, you live below your privilege. Love it. Yeah, thank you. And that means a lot to me. I'd, I'd, I'd love to connect. Absolutely. So uh would follow up with you on that later. Definitely. So uh yeah, Crystal, what do you think of that? Of, of, you know, taking whatever role you have. Usually people have a service role, whether or not they realize it. And usually people think they're more, much more lowly than they actually are. How do you work with people with that mindset? You know what? Every job that anyone does is a noble job. And honestly, all of I'm going to say all of us who are in service, because you might think that, okay, Mark and I are entrepreneurs and we own our own businesses and we're doing this, but what we're really doing is serving every day. Okay. All of us. I mean, the only thing we do in this life that matters is service and, and those jobs that every service person does, that is the golden product that is being offered to the world. You are part, you are the golden product that's being offered without you. I mean, whether it's, 
you know, Jeff Bezos, he had a great idea and he's a hard worker and he pulled the idea together. But what is the real product? The real product is the people on the ground that are making it happen. Okay. Otherwise, it's just an idea. Without the service people, everything else is just an idea. The service people that are out there making it happen, create, you're creating the connection. Okay. And it's your connection that is the golden product that's being delivered every day to another human being. And really, the only thing that matters in this world is how we're connecting and relating to other human beings. And it kind of goes back to that oneness. I mean, we're not really as separate as we think. We all need each other, right? We all need each other to do anything in this world. So service is an amazing, amazing and noble calling to be in. It really is. Thank you for mentioning that. You know, and I find uh, sometimes, you know, in my career in the most difficult moments or periods where I thought I wasn't really that great or my life hadn't gone far enough, there is that voice that says, you know, is there really anything like more important than just simply relating to someone in a way that is um, joyful and connected and caring? And it kind of reminds me of just the simple truth and the simple value of life that can be lived in any moment without having to be some kind of accomplished person. So such an important reminder for, for the listeners. So thank you. Well, Martin Luther right. King said, all of us can be great because we can serve greatly. Yeah. And the founder of Southwest Airlines is a Horatio Algier Award winner like us. And, and he and I are standing in tuxedos goofing around in front of the Rich Carlton in Washington, D.C. at a meeting. And we started singing and all the bellmen came over and they're all doing equivalent kumbaya <laughs> together. And, and everybody was lifted up. Cars were coming in there. These guys are either drunk, crazy, or they're really important. And thank God it was the latter or the last. But, but we made everybody feel good. And everybody that travels and stays at one of the great hotels that you're training needs to understand you've got to treat everybody well because that, the concierge can get you tickets that nobody that they've got stored away. The, the, uh, little lady that's cleaning your room if you need an extra pillow like my wife is a, a pillow maven you know when we call down boy they are up to our room with an extra pillow almost <laughs> instantly so sweet. no we appreciate and that's the the thing for you know every all of us who are listening we also need to appreciate appreciate the people who provide such great service i mean it really is such a labor of love and it needs to be returned with the same kind of love and appreciation so we feel like that's always super important to remember. It's sort of like that circle of giving and receiving. Yeah, and um, wow, we could we could talk another hour about that circle actually, but I feel like I should, uh, we got a few minutes left. I wanna come back to just talking about um, your book. And in the last few minutes, is there anything else you'd like to leave people with? Because I really want people to kind of really start getting their asks right. And there are so many ways I feel like you can get it wrong. I've got mine wrong so often. And uh, I've asked in vague ways because I didn't want to seem like too needy or I wasn't really sure. Or I've asked in ways that were like maybe demands or maybe like maybe they were in, like things I thought I was entitled to. And I, I really, I've run into a lot of roadblocks with asking. I think now I've just gotten a little better at it. So, you know, for, for myself even and for our listeners, how can we just start improving how we ask so that we can kind of really start start aiming ourselves in the direction that we want to in our lives. Right. Well, there are so many. I mean, first of all, it's recognizing um, that there are, are three channels that are equally important to learn to ask yourself, ask others and ask God. And e each of those channels is equally important because the ask yourself part is that reflective journey to get where you want to go in life, whether it's in your relationships, your health and fitness, 
your career or just your the sense of life purpose, we all need to take that reflective journey. And there are like all kinds of questions in the book, like the holding up the mirror questions, the self-reflective questions. All of these things are going to help you define what you want to do, you know, where you are now, where you want to be and the action steps you need to take to get there. Because we're all evolving and growing. Even if we say, look, I want to be in service, but there's always something more for you. There's always something, a new horizon, and it can be in your career relationships or your health and fitness, you know, but we can't get there without asking because asking is the only mechanism that has the ability to reveal what is hidden from you. The second part, the ask others part, you know, the studies we looked at show that most people are terrified to ask and everyone going into the study pretty much felt the same way that if they ask for help, information, advice, or just assistance in, you know, getting something done that they would be perceived as being stupid, ignorant, uninformed, or that they were just basically pushy and obnoxious. But the studies show just the opposite, that if you're just willing to ask somebody for what, what you need, you know, help, information, advice, just some assistance, that you'll have an 80% more likely chance to get your request granted. So we just have to put ourselves out there and ask, right, and not be scared. And the other part of, of the um, studies revealed that people in business who are the best question askers, and this was really important for service, the best question ask, askers are, are um, the most likable people. So even in service, are you asking enough questions? Are you interested in your client enough? You're going to get the best tips. I promise you, they're going to love you. If you ask the right questions, how can I help you? What's important to you? Is there anything I can do to make your experience better? It's all those questions, right? And in the dating survey, the people who ask the, the most questions and the better questions were the ones who got the second date. So like the whole, you know, picture of asking is so important to each of us as human beings. It's such a little word that seems so benign, but it like makes a seismic difference in your life when you learn the art and science of asking and work on yourself to become that master asker. Yeah, and I can definitely speak from uh, my own experience. Definitely my, my maturity and my ability to have better relationships um, happened when I was able to start just properly being interested in others rather than just trying to declare everything that I know, which was my default setting. So asking changed everything in terms of my relationships and my service game. So uh, yeah, very valuable point. But I think I should probably let you guys go though. So um, before we cut this off, uh, is there anything that uh, you'd like to uh, point people to uh, or leave everyone Absolutely. with? Absolutely. You can get the book almost everywhere. It did sell out and we've had to reprint it a couple of times and God bless us and, and the world, but you can get it at Amazon right now. And, and the beautiful thing is that once you get the book, Ask, The Bridge from Your Dreams to Your Destiny, we want you to go to askthebookclub.com, askthebookclub.com, and join us for free. We want to help teach you to be what Crystal and I are teaching right now, is how to become a master asker so you fulfill your life's destiny and you make it wondrous as a service personnel. Beautiful. Let's all become master askers together. Yeah, I'm going to leave everything there in the show notes so everyone can just one click their way to that. So thank you so much once again, guys. And I really just really enjoyed and was inspired by this uh, conversation. So I wish you all the best and take care. Thanks, Stefan. We enjoyed it a lot. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Stefan Ravalli. Check out the Serve Conscious homepage, www.serveconscious.com for more 
inspiring content like this and get on the mailing list so I can shoot you all of that good stuff as it comes out, as well as give you access to the workshops and all the other bonuses that are free that you can avail yourself to as part of the Serve Conscious community. All right. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye.